There is something that's called La Fofole. Supposedly, these are children that died through some horrific accident to where they're demon-like children, and they appear in the shape of lights that try to get you to follow them so you'll be lost forever in the swamps. Yeah, when you hear, like, scraping claws underneath the bed and it moves and... Uh... You can, I was so terrified, dude. I pulled the blanket over my head. I could hear whatever it was breathing outside the sheet. When I was a little bit after there, we got into a car accident, hit a moose. My mom ended up under the steering wheel of the car. She had a big hand-shaped bruise on her shoulder. It was like somebody pushed her underneath the steering wheel. My mom should have gotten decapitated. The weird part was we hit a moose and we had a moose hanging from the rear view mirror. The only other thing that I could think of would be a bear, but there's no bears in that area either. It's just not the right habitat for them. And when you see that a bear, a bear's gonna move. It's gonna take off for the most part. And this thing just shot and did nothing. This material world that you're told is bound by science and everything else, obviously, obviously science and physics are very important. There is so much more out there that is left to study, that is left to learn about. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Investigation Cryptoparology. Sit back, get relaxed, and crack open your favorite cold beverage as we dive deep into the abyss of what we were told couldn't possibly exist. Folks, check out Polky's Acrylic Art LLC out of Shriver, Louisiana. Mr. Polky is an interpretationist painter, meaning whatever you would want him to paint, it would be done per his interpretation of the piece. His work speaks for itself, and you can see examples of his work on our website at www.investigation-cryptoparaology.com Just tap or click on the Sponsors tab. If you would like to get in touch with Mr. Polky, you may do so by either emailing him at tpolky at yahoo.com That's T-P-O-L-K-E-Y at yahoo.com or by call or text at 1-985-227-3037 And if no one answers, just leave a voicemail or send a text. Prices depend on size and depth of piece. Hi. Hello. Welcome to Investigation Cryptoparology. I'm Will Francis, and I have brought back Liz Law from Rigby, Idaho, who is an energy healer, office manager, and has a background in... Psychology. Yeah, see, I couldn't remember that. I'm sorry. That's all right. I'm not a So uh, you may remember her from episode six, uh, where she talked about the hat man. And we're bringing her back on tonight because she has some other stories that she'd like to tell us. Yes. So what I thought we could talk about tonight was um, I mentioned on the last show that I'm an Akashic Record reader. And I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about what that means and kind of how I came to that understanding. And it's kind of a big story. Um, so do you know about the Akashic Records? Do you know what they are? I've heard the name, but I haven't dug into any of it. Okay. Yeah. Like you have your, you have your own special specialties and stuff. And it was not something that I dug into until I started having some experience with it. The Akashic records are a record of 
your life. It's a record of everything that you're you've done in this life. It's um, a record of what you've done in your past lives. It's a record of the karma that you carry. It is, it's you. It's, it's like the movie of your soul. And there are people that can tune into that and they can start to tell you story, stories about who you were, who you are, where you came from, and the things that you're carrying right now. And it took me a really long time to believe that that was a thing that was possible. Like I felt like I always had this split between these things that I was experiencing because I did. Like I, I experienced so many big things, but I was so alone in that. Like I was the only person that I knew of that was experiencing things like the Hat Man and and these. Uh, I guess intuitions and and understandings and premonitions and and all of these things that that were happening to me I didn't have anybody to talk to and I felt very alone and so it took me a long time before I accepted that it's possible that these things that I was intuiting are true and that they're real and the way the way that people read the akash they read the akashic records it's pretty varied and and you know it's it's pretty out there um one of the ways that i do it is by watching people's auras as they're talking to me and often they will have colors that will change sometimes it's almost like the clothes that they're wearing change their costume changes a little bit and i start to see it's the same person, but maybe as they were in the 1800s or the 1500s or, you know, even before that, like I start to see different things and the Akash will tell you the lessons that you've learned and then the lessons that you're still carrying. And when I'm working with somebody, it presents itself to, to me in a lot of different ways. And then we talk about it and, and we kind of untangle those knots and those lessons that they have to learn. And those lessons appear in the body too. So I want to ask you a question. Do you okay. know what epigenetics are? Epigenetics. Epigenetics is kind of an emergent field of study and it's a term I heard really recently. No. So our genetic code as we all learned in school and we were talking about the things that we learned in school and maybe there's a little bit more that we could dig into um our genetic code is shaped by a lot of things it's obviously shaped by our parents it's shaped by our grandparents and we have things like the color of your eyes whether or not you have a cleft chin how you're if you have a widow's peak or not right like all that basic stuff that we learned there are things that are dormant in our genetic code until they are stressed. So I, I will have to look at the study and, and let me just preface this by saying like, I've read a lot of things, I should have done more research so I could give you more specifics before I came on the show to talk about it. But this is something that I have read several times. And so I am inclined to believe that there's at least enough research out there to consider this as a real possibility of what happens. But there, there have been some studies about people who went through very traumatic things. So we're talking like the Holocaust. And then when 
<clears throat> their families were questioned and studied going down the line, um, there tend to be a higher level of neuroticism, which neuroticism is your sensitivity to negative emotion. It's like your sensitivity to something that is alarming, something that could harm you. But there tended to be higher levels of neuroticism for generations after from people who had experienced something very traumatic like the Holocaust. And so their trauma from going through that carried down their family line for longer than just their kids, because you would expect that like somebody who has is gone through something like that, they're going to raise their kids some mm -hmm. way. They're going to be sensitive to some of these things, but it continued down. Um, so in your physical body, these genetics that come from wherever and then come down to form you, there's a lot of the stuff that's dormant, okay? The way to wake up these dormant genes and to get them encoding for new proteins so that you can bring out whatever is, is in you, whatever potential is in your physical body is through stress. And you can either have voluntary stress or you can have involuntary stress. And so if you wanna wake up all of your potential, the way to do that is by facing challenges, by getting out there, doing things that scare you, by just trying different things to see if you can wake up these, these dormant genes. The Akash, your spirit record, your spirit genetics are kind of the same way. Are you with me so far? Yeah. Like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to tell this story and like, like bring it all together. Um, so where these two things meet, your physical genetics and your spirit genetics is with generational curses. And generational curses are the things that show up for you that carry down your family line. And the place that I started to believe this was real is when somebody helped me heal a generational curse that I had. And this is how she did it. I, uh, I started having problems like it just had a knot that was near my tailbone that was like debilitating like it was hard for me to walk around. It was just this muscle knot and I tried everything there was a day I sat down I did yoga for like four hours and I was trying to stretch I tried heat I tried everything I could think of. I went to the gym and I got on the elliptical and I was just trying to move my legs and try to work out this knot and it would not go away for a couple of weeks. And then somebody was doing an energy workshop and I was like, I need to go to that. I need to go there. And I had never met these people before. We hadn't talked about anything, but I went to this workshop and uh, the woman that was leading it picked up on the fact that like I was having some problems and he said, you know, I, I just have this knot and I'm, I, I have tried everything physical that I can do. I don't know what else is going to help this, but I felt like I needed to be here and maybe you could be the person that helps me. And she started doing a reading with me and she found where the pain was. And she said, this is something that's down your family line. And she started trying to figure out like how far back it went. And she starts counting and she goes one, and that would be like my, my dad or my mom. And she keeps going two, three, four, five, further back, six, seven, eight, 
eight. It's eight generations back. It's eight generations back. And she starts telling me, and I, I knew at that point what she was talking about, but I just let her talk. And she said, it's somebody that can't be themselves. And, and like, there's so much pain, like they get, they got hurt because they were, they were themselves and that's why it couldn't come out. And that's why it couldn't come out. She gets all done. When she finished her work, I felt much better. And then I finally told her who it was. And she told me that it was a female as she was doing this. She told me it was a woman and, and, you know, she's like, I see long, dark hair, but like, that was, that was before, like she's older now and, and all this stuff. And I finally told her and I had a great grandmother. My eighth great grandmother was hanged in Salem for witchcraft. Oh, uh, Yes. And so she picked up on all of that. But that's the thing. Like she was, her name is Rebecca Nurse. If anybody wants to look that up, like she's, when you watch The Crucible, whatever, whatever version of that movie, like she's always in it. Um, but that is my eighth great grandmother. And she picked up on that. I didn't tell her anything until we were completely done with the class. And I said that this is what you tuned into. And, and you're exactly right. Because that is a thing that carried down my family line is like this fear of standing out this fear of confrontation like to to be on a stage and and performing and and having all of these people look at you and and all of that kind of stuff like it's it's not something that was really present in my family but also like i am the person that does that like i have done some big stuff i i have done burlesque before um Mike, who you saw here, like we have a burlesque show that we actually produce. And then, you know, he helped me get on that stage and perform. I love acting. I love singing in front of people and stuff, but it's something that's very scary for me. But anyway, so as she was doing this and she told me that this was, was something that carried down my family, I knew it was very true that like, even though these are things that I wanted to do, these are things, these are curses that I had to break. Like it was hard for anybody else who came before me to be able to do these things. And so they were presenting in my physical body. Um, I'm going to go back to the Akashic records just a little bit. This is this is something that when I read people quite often, those kinds of fears, those things that hold them back will present as physical symptoms. And it'll be things like, oh man, you know, your shoulders hurt all the time or your back hurts all the time because you feel like you have to carry everybody that's in your family. And this is, this is something that's really difficult for you, or you're scared to just, you know, be, be you you're very scared to just be you. And um, when she when she told me that when she helped me release this knot and everything, it was it was like a like a big moment that I was able to kind of step into who I am now, which is why when you asked for people to do the podcast, that's why I was able to say yes, like I would I would like to come on and, and talk about these things. Um, and so this next part is kind of scary for me because I know how out there this is and and I'm hoping that I have given enough background to get into this um, so when I first learned about the Akashic Records it really wasn't from anybody else it was from there were beings that showed up and they showed me they showed me the Akashic Records and these beings came to me one night, like I was laying in bed 
it was just, it was a normal night. And they are Arcturian, which means they're, they're interdimensional. We could also say that they are aliens, but whatever. Um, but they come from the Arcturus constellation and they took me, at least my consciousness, to a temple and they showed me my records and they gave me access to the records and the temple looked like a uh, pyramid and they showed me my purpose which part of my purpose is to help open these doors for people and the way that I help open these doors is by talking about things by making it okay for other people to talk about these things by helping people accept that this material world that you're told is bound by science and everything else obviously obviously science and physics are very important there is so much more out there that is left to study that is left to learn about yes bring science into it but please hear what i am telling you right now which is that there is more and there is more to you and you are probably here for a reason that is bigger than you can imagine um i was straight up told that i am here to make portals and and to help people ascend because we are all creating a brand new world all of us together and that means that you have to get past your very human shell you have to accept that like even though you're kind of weird and even though you're saying stuff that not everybody understands they might like you anyway and it might be important for you to speak out well that's the point of this podcast right it's to get the word out to people that you know whatever you have to say that you wouldn't normally say in a normal social setting you can come on here. I mean, it's, it, it's judgment free. I don't judge anybody. I don't have the right to judge anybody. And, and none of my listeners actually have the right to judge anybody because, you know, somebody, somebody may be sitting and listening to this when this goes live and go, Hey, wait a minute. I've had that happen to me. I'm not crazy. Right. Right. And that's what I'm saying. And even if you do feel a little crazy, or even if you've been in BHC because it made it very hard for you to function, and and keep a job and stay connected to your family like this is big stuff you know and and we're all coming together right now we're we're waking up and we're figuring out how to make this work for us but i would also like to tell you about a couple of the confirmations that happened after that too which is i have seen i have seen crafts outside as in like things that i could not explain as in like a we'll go with a flying saucer, but some kind of craft that was um, moving. And there were witnesses, there were other people with me that saw the same thing. And so like this experience that I had, I feel like, okay, you know, there's, there's more than, than one experience that ties into it that lets me know that this is a very real thing. And, you know, the talent that I'm tuning into and the, and the talent that I've been 
told and asked to express and, and to learn how to use is something that matters to people a lot right now, which is learning what their purpose is. And at this moment, my purpose is to open portals, it's to open doors for people. And so if, if you feel like you, you don't have any open doors, you don't have any way to express like, man, they need to get on your show and they just need to talk to you because you are very like non-judgmental or they need to come in and talk to me or, or get a hold of me or whatever, because this is, this is a turning point for humanity. And that, that is very true. And, and I want everybody to know, like, I have a family, I have kids that are real successful. I have a grandbaby. I have a house that I maintain. I have a stable and successful relationship. I am socially successful too. So all of these markers that you're like, oh, crazy people can't do those things. I want to tell you right now, I'm handling it all just fine. I'm handling it all just fine. These are things that I perceive that not necessarily everything everyone does, but I am in groups like I'm in groups on social media, I you can find people on YouTube, there are 10s of 1000s of people that understand and are talking about these same things. And so it's it's time for those doors to open. Like we're the the world is changing very much. And I just, you know, my hope is that everybody is ready to catch up because man it's about to get real weird it's about to get very fun for a lot of people well you you know you talk about being crazy you're not crazy there's a fine line oh, between, i know there's a fine line between being crazy and being insane i mean the entire definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results hardly anybody actually does that Right. Oh, I actually think a lot of people do that. So my definition of insanity would be something like expecting to be fulfilled with going to work and, and earning a paycheck and putting money into a 401k that you then get to crash. How We had one in 2008. We're having one right now. Like everybody's watching their money disappear and all this kind of stuff. My definition of insane would be like expecting those things that you think society wants from you to sustain you. <laughs> like when you really live in the real world as it exists and you get out in nature and you let go just just for a brief time of of the social stuff if you if you let go of the social expectations and you stop being afraid of what people will think and you just really connect with yourself you really connect with yourself you will find out that doing the nine to five and doing things to try to please other people and just make sure your ego stays intact and that you know you're keeping up with all the trends and whatever that is insanity that is just not something that is fulfilling or truly sustainable in any way. You are right. Now, so, you, you mentioned something earlier. Um, I still can't wrap my, my mind around it. You said you had a grandchild. Yes. Yeah, I have a little ground baby. She's super cute. I uh, She's actually out in the other room. So I have like headphones on and stuff to kind of cut out the background noise. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's uh, she's seven months old. She okay. is she is kind of awesome. Being a grandparent is like, yeah, I, don't... I love being a parent, but being a grandparent is way more fun. <laughs> yeah, 
I don't have any any grandkids to my knowledge. I mean, I haven't I haven't actually spoken to my daughter in quite in quite a while. But you'd think that you know if she did have a child, she she'd get in contact with me and let me know. But uh, it's just funny. My uh, I'm not trying to get off topic, but my wife just turned forty in February. And she's always telling me, you know, because she knows I have an older daughter. And she says, and I keep telling her, I was like, you know, you're going to be a grandmother before your time. <laughs> no, I'm no, that's impossible. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm 38. It's very possible. I was a young mom. My daughter's a young mom. And we have this amazing little soul. I got to be there when she was born and it was the coolest thing ever. And she came out and she was facing me and I just looked right at her and I said, hello, Miss Haley. It was like, we knew each other from before. And, you know, and that's the thing about reading the, the Akash and stuff is I knew, I knew a hundred percent that I had told her before, look, I'm going to be there when you're born, like, don't even worry about it. Like we're, we're going to go to earth. I will be right there. You are not going to have to be without me even for a second. And she showed up and I went, Oh, I know you. Hello, Miss Haley. And she was born on my birthday. Oh, like, cool. yeah, like we, we know each other. And my daughter was born. My daughter's birthday is exactly six months apart from ours and so like we have this little triad my younger daughter and I like we understand each other she's a she's a Halloween baby and I was like oh that's that's really cool like there's we have our all all have our own little things but um when I was talking about generational curses and stuff one of the things about family dynamics is your family your immediate family whether or not you have a good relationship right now or not in this plane there's a reason that you were born into that family and there's a reason that the dynamics are the way they are and it's because there are lessons that each of you needs to learn and you could only learn them from each other and sometimes the job is to disperse sometimes the job is to be like look we have to learn about separation in this life and so you're going to have to learn to separate from these different character aspects and so maybe you have a family that you have to distance yourself from and sometimes it's like you're going to have to learn to bridge that gap you're going to have to learn how to reconnect with people despite these things that happened you're going to have to learn how to get through that pain and then and then do that together and maybe pain is the thing that brings you back together you know maybe that loss and you're the only people that carry the memories maybe that's the thing that you're like look this is where we connect and this is something that's important because we both hold this light from for somebody that's gone and we can agree on that well with uh with my family it it's not something that that, that well it, it is something that they did to me but you know, I had always tried to stay in contact. I always try to call them birthdays, you know, but they basically all wrote me off. I don't exist to them. And I have tried to bridge the gap. I've, you know, I've tried everything to find out why, you know, why it happened, why they did what they did. And it's just like, they don't care. And the funny part is, is it's, like that on my mother's side and my father's side it's like i don't exist to either side and i mean it 
it made it makes no sense now and it made no sense then but i'm i mean i understand what you're saying but i'm to the point that you know i turned 45 this year and i've been trying since since my teens to get the, the, the to get these people to understand that you know i did nothing wrong the only thing that, that happened is my mother died my mother was the glue that held the family together she died it all fell apart. And I, I mean, I, I just can't get them to understand, you know, you know, Will did nothing wrong. Well, back then I was known as Eddie. It's my, my, it's a shortened version of my middle name, which is Edison. And, you know, Eddie did nothing wrong. The only thing Eddie did was stood by his mother's side, did not let any of you take any of her possessions while she was in the hospital or after she died, because that's not what she wanted. And, you know, it, it was like they all turned on me because, you know, they didn't get any money or they didn't get any property or they didn't get this. They didn't get that. I'm like, well, this is not what the woman wanted. Right. So. Right. If they don't love me anymore, then I'm OK with it. I've made my peace with it. There's not there's nothing there's really nothing that can be done. I mean, I, I have, you know. I can't afford to, to go back out to the East Coast, but I've tried reaching out. I've tried emails, texts, phone calls. You know, I've, before I actually started the podcast, a couple of my family members were, you know, are, are really into, you know, everything that I'm into. I, I, and I even told him, you know, I'm going to start a podcast. You know, have you come on, talk about, such, you know, some of the, the old family stories and things. No, nah, I don't think so. I don't think anybody, you know, needs to know about, what uh, what went on i'm like i'm not talking about the crap that your mother pulled <laughs> i'm talking about stuff that happened on the reservation because uh most of my cousins their mother uh if evil really existed well it, it does really exist but you know if evil you know, hollywood evil existed should be the epitome of it now, I'm, t I'm talking uh, Cruella DeVille times 40. <laughs> and it's sad to say that. It really is. And I'm not going to go into to any of the things that, that she did to her, to, her, to her kids as they were growing up. Although if I, if I could create a time machine and go back in time, I'd love to stop some of it because they're horror stories. They're what Hollywood movies are based off of. And, you know, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't get why I became the pariah. I mean, it, it's literally, you know, you asked the, the new grandchildren or the new, you know, the, the kids of my cousins who I am, and they have no clue. You know, I, I find them on Facebook. Hey, I'm your, not, not your uncle, but I'm your cousin or, or something like that. Oh, I don't know you. What happened to all the pictures? What happened to all the, you know, the, the, the family movies? What happened to all the, the stories that everybody used to tell? I don't exist. But I'm okay with that. Because, I mean, we're, we're not promised tomorrow. I could, I could die tomorrow. And the family that I have is me, my wife, her family, her, uh, her dad, his family, and our dog. And I'm okay with that. 
Yeah, I think that it's important for people to know where they stand. Um, it's important for people to know. Um, well, I guess what they learned from each of those relationships, because quite often that they're they're not perfect. And, you know, I will I will be quite frank and I will say that as a mother and as a human being, I know that I am not perfect. And I know that it took me some time to learn how to overcome cruelty. And I know that it took me some time to learn to overcome selfishness. It took me some time to learn how to be the person that the people in my family needed. And I'm still learning. Um, and so when you when you talk about your cousin's mom and you know the the things that she did and stuff, I do believe that quite often people lash out from just a place of pain, from a place of being hurt, from not knowing better. It's something that they're carrying that they don't know what to do with and they don't know how to value the people around them. Like they don't know how to love. And the only way to break that sometimes is to learn how you could still love someone like that in spite of that and sometimes that means putting up that like look we don't talk i i we do i don't go around her anymore i don't like we don't associate but i forgive her because i know she didn't know better and because that brings me peace like i won't tolerate that behavior from her anymore i i know how to say no and to draw lines and all of those things but you know i i have learned that lesson peace be with you we're moving on i don't i don't know if you're uh if you're watching the chat and zoom but i explained exactly what she did yeah yep i saw that i did see that um and that's not something that i understand either but one thing that i will tell you is that all of us have played many roles across many lives and i know that even as much as many mistakes as I made that I would never do again because I had no idea how much I was hurting people. My guess is, um, so can people who are watching your podcast, can they see this chat? No. Like you didn't say, okay. So let me, let me find the way to say this. When people do evil things like that, it's because they don't know how to value what they have and and what they're selling and so her view of how to look at those people was so skewed by what can i get out of this look it's costing me a lot to have children in my life so what can i get out of that and that is something that we have to overcome it is you know, and I'm, I'm not saying she was a good person. She was not, but no, I, I do very much believe that people can redeem, be redeemed and maybe not necessarily in one life, but you know, the role that that person will play in the next one, if you are the person who has been inflicting this cruelty and you're the one that's taking advantage of all of that, karma is a very real thing and it will come back on you. It will be something you carry and at some point. It, you have to come face to face with it. And, and, you know, when people talk about deathbed regrets and everything, there does come a point when people come to a full understanding of what 
what could have been and what they did and what they're going to have to face and what they're going to have to clear. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not an easy thing. And, and, you know, to talk about forgiveness and, and stuff. Um, I do think that forgiveness has to come to a place of understanding that look, everybody's going to get punished for what they did. Like, it's just, it's something you have to transcend. You have to, you have to face that burden at some point and you have to transmute it. You have to learn how to become better than that. And if you keep racking up all of this terrible, terrible stuff that you did, well, you know, it's not going to be a good day for you. You're going to have a good dark night of the soul where you go through this stuff and it comes back on you very harshly. And Right now, I do think that um, those those things, I know that my own lessons, and I'm not saying that I've transcended all of them because I certainly haven't, but I do know that my own lessons in cruelty and selfishness, those come back on me very fast, very fast. And then all of a sudden I got to sit with it and I got to go, all right. How do I become a better person? And I just have to say, look, I, I could have done something differently. And I know that I hurt you. I know that I did things that were not right. And some of them I did knowingly. And some of them I did just because I didn't know any better. I didn't know how to be a better person. Um, but it does come back around. And, you know, as an Akashic record reader and as an energy healer and stuff, a lot of the people that I work with are people that are trying to get through this stuff. and you got to make a choice every day and every day you can say, I am going to, I'm going to feel sad about the distance between my family and I'm going to choose to believe that that distance is still there, or I'm going to keep making that effort and I'm going to keep reaching out to my daughter and, and just say, how are you going and reestablish a relationship as adults instead of as like carrying all the stuff that I didn't do that I wish I had done, that I wish I had been more present when my kids were children, that I wish that things had been easier for me. I wish that I had the wisdom to give them the childhood that they deserved, but I didn't, I had to earn it and they had to earn it with a lot of pain. And that meant that I couldn't be there for them in all the ways that they deserved, but we're here now. We're here now and we can talk to each other and, and we can talk about that and I can accept that I was not perfect, that there were things that I could have done a lot better. And that has really helped us establish our relationship as adults. Um, so, you know, in a very real way, even though we kind of started out in the ethers and everything, in a very real way, I see how this <sighs> helped me to get past my own bullshit and and to accept myself as someone who didn't have the coping skills I needed and how that came down on my kids and and how how I did hurt them but how we've come to terms with that now and we're we have a strong family and you know going down the line you know now I mean, they're getting, they're getting ready to launch out on their own and they are much better for the fact that I could say I could have been better. I could have been better, but I am here right now and I know I'm not perfect, but let's get through this because the world is a 
very different place than you want to believe it is. Like we all want it to be perfect. We all want an idyllic childhood. We all want the college fund. And then we just pick where we go. And then we just step into things with grace and ease. Of course, we all want that. But sometimes you got to learn how to build from the ground up. That's right. I agree. Yes. Man, that turned into a very different conversation than I thought it was going to. That was fun. You asked me last time, you were like, can you do this at a distance? Can you read the Akashic at a distance? I feel like we're kind of getting there. No, see, now you're actually living up to, to what you were talking about, about there's you know, there are things in your DNA markers that takes a little bit of stress to open it up. Yep. Yep, it does. It really does. And, and that is true for everybody. And stress can be just honesty. Yeah. Seeing what's really there. I wasn't really trying to get to, to uh, get off topic or anything, but people need, but people are, you know, that are listening need to understand that even though, you know, this podcast is, a, you know, about many, 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 many different things. And it doesn't just have to be about, you know, the paranormal or UFOs or Sasquatch or anything like that. It could be about anything doesn't really matter but there's also a, a human side to it and i wanted to show the humanity so people understand you know it's not i don't have a format the only thing that i really have a format for is as what the person wants to be called if they want their, their uh job situation to be you know announced over the air or where they live things like that that's the only format I have. I don't have, a, you know, a bullet point. I'm not sitting here looking at notes or, you know, anything that you said from, from last show, you know, it's an open form, but I want, I want people to, to feel comfortable to where if something upsets them, they don't, you know, they can just continue to talk or continue being there. They don't have to pause, get up, walk away, you know, because what, what am I going to say? You know, there's no, nothing... you're very non-judgmental. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, I do have my time. I do have times in my life when I am judgmental, but it's not toward, you know, situations or situations like this. It's towards things that just shouldn't happen, period, in any stretch of the imagination. And I can be extremely judgmental in those cases. Or things that need to happen. Like, uh, I'm, I'm actually going to have an upcoming episode that it's just going to be me. There's not, not going to be any guests, right? And the whole thing is, is people talk about kids bullying in school or bad politics and the politicians and term limits or how, you know, or uh, the, the thing that social media has coined suicide by cop which is basically it, it's not the person is causing the police officer to shoot them it's the police officers aren't trained well enough to de-escalate situations there's a way to solve that and i'm not i'm not going to go really into in depth but there is a way to solve that you take a kid that just graduated high school and most kids they'll either go to college they won't go to college they'll go get a job they'll do whatever you take that kid a week after high school, stick him in the military. Now, I'm not saying, you know, a man, well, man, okay, mandatory draft. That's great. But do it the right way. Let them choose the branch. 
stuck them in the military, minimum of two years. And that's after boot camp and schooling, right? Minimum of two years. They learn real world skills outside the continental U.S. Other countries, they get to see the atrocities in other countries and they'll come to realize, I don't have it that bad. You know, I may have come from a poor family, but these people are eating trash. I don't you know, think you have to go outside the U.S. for that. Well, like, why aren't we putting kids in civil service? Like, mandatory civil, well, not make it an option even if you want to. But, like, if you want some of your college paid for, if you don't want these student loans or you want forgiveness or whatever, two years, four years, whatever it is, you go to these cities and you clean up and you work in these different shelters and all these ideals that you think you have, you learn to work with people who are struggling. You learn what it takes to clean up a city. You learn how to be right where you're at and to make it better. Well, the, the only downside to that is, is a person has the option to do that. And if, right. you know, and if they don't want to see something, they can walk away. But when you're in the military, you give up your rights. You don't have options anymore. And if they say that you stay there and you watch it, you stay there and you watch it. And, I mean, it works all the way around. If you want to stop anything, you got to start at the bottom. Start, you know, when the person is young, not little, you know, toddler, things like that. But say, like, just out of high school. If they want to go to college, that's great. I think it's uh, two years minimum in reserves and the military will pay for your college. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to stop bullying, no matter what the kid has been through up and, you know, up until they join to stop bullying, you put them in a situation to where they learn and they see that bullying, you know, isn't the way to go. You need to help each other, not bully each other. And then you, you go a step further from that and you say, okay, well, politics is really bad. And so what can we do about that? Well, you've got all these kids that are growing up in, you know, lifetime political families. Nobody is exempt. You put those kids in the military and then they can see from the outside of their own family setting what politics are really doing, you know, the bad politicians, what they're really doing to this country. Okay, so they want to get into to, to politics. So they spend two years. Military pays for the college. They take whatever courses necessary to get into politics. They get into politics. They end up setting term limits and getting, and getting all these dinosaurs, you know, out of Washington. Right? Right. And it's, it's basically because, you know, like we were talking about, we learn things in school, but we're not taught the right things in school. No, we're absolutely not. If we were taught the right things, none of this stuff that's been going on right now or that's coming up, like, I don't know if you've been watching the stuff about fertilizer prices and the supply chain, but we're headed for food shortages. Um, I saw somebody post like for their small family farm, normally it's about $200,000 a year for them for fertilizer. Right now it's about $800,000 a year. And what that is going to mean is that if 
you can grow your own food, maybe you should put a few potatoes in the dirt because they're going to get very expensive wow. here coming up. Um, but all of us should be taught in school how to grow plants and what they need and how to build and how to sustain ourselves mm -hmm. when the world doesn't work perfectly, when we can't just go to the store and pick up whatever. Like we're, we're very codependent disposable society right now and i do think that we learned a lot of lessons over the last two years about like look you need to get ready and you need to bring things closer to home and you need to make sure that they're right there for you because if they're not then you're vulnerable yeah you're very vulnerable but we're not taught that in school and say so, i mean i have a master's degree in business and when you talk about supply chain and stuff, like the more that you look at it, even even over the last decade or so, like the supply chain has gone so far out. Look at what happened to our gas prices because somebody in Russia decided that they were going to do some stuff in Ukraine. Like I've never been to Ukraine. Have you ever been to Ukraine? No, I've never been to Russia. How how is it possible that the things that are happening on the other side of the globe are affecting us so much right here well it's because we need a product that they're sending to us that to me appears to be kind of a serious problem like if somebody goes off on a tangent or has a hissy fit well all of a sudden i can't afford to drive to work and that is an issue for me you know so bringing things closer to home teaching people how to sustain themselves without being reliant on things that also rely on a ship and a truck and dock workers being able to show up and mm -hmm. you know all this stuff um it just seems like it would make us a stronger society if those were the things that we were taught in school i think it would make us a stronger society if, if, if we would quit relying on other countries to provide us with things that, that we could provide ourselves for like oil because we are sitting on billions and billions of barrels of oil underground but yet we don't want to use our own reserves we want to pay somebody else for it i'm going to save the environment by making sure that my oil has to first off it's going to come from a country that i don't ever have to see so i don't see what it looks like when they're pouring or pulling oil out of their dirt i don't have to look at that and then it's got to go on a ship and then the ship has to take it to a refinery somewhere I'm also never going to see. It. And then they'll do it there. And then the only place I see it is it's the shiny, clean gas pump with a sticker. That is, yeah, the, I'm saving, you know. In the movie Armageddon, Bruce Willis actually said it as proficiently as possible. Greenpeace was giving him a hard time because he was drilling oil, you know, in the ocean. And they pull up in a ship, well, on a boat, rather, they... You know, its main source of fuel is diesel. And he told him, he said, I donate millions of dollars to your cause a year. How many, uh, how many gallons of diesel do you think that clunker pumps out an hour? Right? Yep. You're Greenpeace, but you're rolling around in a diesel boat. That diesel boat takes the oil that the oil rig is drilling for. It's it's a catch twenty two. It makes no sense. How can you complain about something but yet use the product? Right. Or you can tell me to buy an electric vehicle all you want, but do you know where your lithium comes from that makes that battery? Have you ever seen a lithium mine? Hey, yeah, I let's have, talk actually. about 
yeah, it's terrible. And let's talk about child labor that a lot of these countries use to get the lithium out of the dirt. Like, I don't know, I'm ethically opposed to putting kids to work in dangerous mines. Perhaps I'm just going to wait until they figure out how to not make that a main way to get the resource. I mean, you know, they, they, you know, people could be smart, uh, you know, uh, electric engineers could be smart and all, and everybody come together from all around the globe and create robots who would do this. But then there would be that society that, you know, poor little robot has to go work in the lithium mine. Let's put humans back to work in them. Right. Now we, now we've eliminated a bunch of jobs. So here's, here's this real thing that we're having a problem with. And I was, I was thinking about this too, because uh, I used to work in higher education and education is very important. And there is so much value in continuing your studies as long as possible. There is also so much horseshit in higher education right now. And I, I, some of the jobs that people have, like, as I kind of go and I browse and see if it's something I want to get back into, I see things like diversity officer and, and they're making lots of money, you know, it's like a, like a good job, but for real, if we just taught people to respect each other for their actions, their talents, their abilities, and to mentor people and bring them up, like, why why does this matter why do you need someone ensuring that you have a diverse enough whatever like if we're i I am a very like merit-based person and i don't exclude people for any immutable characteristics but also like i want to know what you bring to the table and and so some of these jobs i'm seeing is like okay you're kind of the hall monitor how many hall monitors do we need in our society? How many middle managers do we need? How many people do we need to do this stuff? But we need a lot of them. And that's because we all bases our, base our exchanges of energy and talent on money. And I'm not like, I'm not pro-communism. I'm not like saying that we should eliminate money, although maybe we should figure out better ways to value what people are bringing to the table. and focus on some real stuff and and individual sustainability and and make it something that's easy for people to do without having to work a nine to five all the time i think we're kind of in that process of figuring out different systems of exchanging our labor and and figuring out how to get what we want and what we need But I will be grateful to see that transition happen too. And, you know, people are, what I don't want, so this is the other catch 22, what I don't want is people that are disabled. I don't want them to be left out in the cold. I don't want the elderly to be left out in the cold. I don't want people that are going through mental illness or injury or health problems or anything else. I don't want anybody to be left out in the cold. So I think that us together, we need to figure out how to lift each other up and make sure that we're building strong communities and that we are bringing things closer to home and that we're checking in on each other all the time too, that we have good communication and that we are including everybody in that conversation, that we are really reaching out to people that need us. I can agree with that. I'm sure that others could too. I should hope so. 
you know, I, I heard one time that, um, and I'll, I, I'll have to look at it, but I heard one time that the U.S. Army doesn't take anybody that has an IQ of less than like 80, 85, something like that. So average IQ is 100, and then 80 is about one standard deviation below the average. And that's not to say that people are dumb or anything, but it just means that like their particular skills are you know, the, on, on, in one place, but like, if you have an IQ that's lower than 80, it gets hard to do even basic tasks, like fold a piece of paper so that it goes into an envelope properly and stuff. Like it takes a few repetitions before people really learn to do that. And so there's like fewer jobs that people can do. Um, so when you talk about like making robots and stuff to do some of these more, menial sort of things not to say that they're unimportant but to do some of those things like well what are we taking away from people are we taking away their ability to interact with society in a way that makes them feel fulfilled and like i'm contributing and i'm doing something that matters i mean half of my job is like sweeping floors and cleaning toilets and i'll tell you what sometimes there's no more important work than making sure that people have a good environment so wait a minute. So, you, so you're saying that the, the report is that uh, the Army won't take anybody if their IQ is 80 or lower. So how the hell do people keep getting into the Marines? Because we, we've been accused of eating crayon for I don't know how long. Oh, are you a Marine? Yeah. Well, it's mostly because you'll throw yourself into the dangerous places. You're like, you know what? That looks like a good time. I am on it. <laughs> and we're like, do it. <laughs> go see oh man you guys won you're like a bunch of wolverines and we're just like let's see how this plays out yeah i, I had somebody ask me once they, they were just making the joke about you know marines eating crayons and i'm like okay and they, and they looked at me and said so do you have a personal favorite uh purple that tastes like grape <laughs> i gotta say so a disclaimer here i did not serve in the armed forces just so you all know I have the utmost respect for people who did. My grandfather was a World War II vet. Um, he came home injured. My other grandfather was also a World War II vet. He was at Normandy. Like I, I have a lot of warriors in my family and they are very, very good men. And also Marines are my favorite. <laughs> I gotta say, the Marines are very fun. They know how to party. Well, yeah, I mean, that's basically all you really have to do when you're overseas, right? It's either you're sitting on top of a building playing Overwatch or you're kicking in doors or you're uh, working with uh, known friendlies to find a target or you're just sitting around getting drunk and eating crayons. That's it. Those are the choices. I was so proud one time I won a beer chugging contest against two Marines and I was like, you know what, I might not be able to do a pull up. But I'm better than you at this one thing and you're all pretty good at it. So <laughs> Well, I wouldn't say they're really good at it. That's just the lack of options. Now, now, Navy SEALs, on the other hand, if you get a bunch of Marines in the same room with Navy SEALs, those, the, the, those, you'll find uh, the next morning, you'll find all those Marines passed out on the floor. But the Navy SEALs, on the other hand, will still be sitting there drinking. I don't believe it. I would like to see it. Someone set up a meeting. 
I will be there. I will bring nachos. <laughs> well, that's what I've been told by a bunch of Navy SEALs, right? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, everybody basically goes through not the same training or the same type of training, but uh, I have a lot of friends who are actually, you know, uh, Navy SEALs at one point in time or one point or another. And they always talk about, oh, yeah, you know, well, we could be inserted into this area or that area. And we always come out smelling like roses. And you guys go in and create all kind of havoc and hell and make a mess. I'm like, well, you know, that's what the Army and the Air Force is for, right? They're, they're to come in and clean up the mess. Right. Like, unleash the Wolverines. And then y'all come in and just kind of organize after that, like, sweep up the chaos. I have been listening to um, the book Unbroken. I don't know if you I, I know that there's at least one movie. There might be a couple movies that have been made about this book. Have you have you heard of this one? No, but I'll be sure to check it out. Oh, it's fantastic. It's a great story about a warrior and just the suffering that you got to you got to figure out and survive and sustain yourself through. And I it's I don't know. It's it's just an amazing book, but it, this might sound a little weird, but I kind of love stories about suffering and people that overcome it. Um, David Goggins, speaking of Navy SEALs, he went through both SEAL and Ranger training. I loved his book, Can't Hurt Me. I, at the time, I, uh, man, and I don't, I don't even like complaining about it anymore, but just so you know, it was excruciating. I had kidney stones and those are like I I have had two kids and I would rather give both to the give birth to them both sideways than go through the kidney stone stuff again. But man, I suffered for like two years, more longer than that off and on. But for a solid two years, every day I was hurting so bad, and I still had to go to work. Like I had stuff around the house I had to do. Like I had all this stuff I had to do. But I listened to his book about the things that he went through in SEAL training and in Ranger training and how he overcame that. And it's like a shamanic journey. It's like about what pain teaches you about your body and about how pain can bring you to a whole other level. And it was the thing that got me through. Like I ended up having to have a couple of surgeries and, and all of this kind of stuff before I finally started feeling better. And it was like, that kind of stuff that really helps but warriors know that like they know not only physical pain but emotional pain and i look at some of these guys that came home from iraq and afghanistan and you know everything else that they came home with even my grandpa he uh he was injured in boot camp actually he uh he lost a hand and half of a foot and he came home and there was one day that he was telling me that um he showed me a picture of his unit and he said that every other man in that unit died and he Hmm. should have been with him and i just looked at him and i said grandpa but i wouldn't be here if you had been you know and, and he built a farm and you know he really he made some amazing things happen Um, in spite of those injuries and in spite of the fact like I don't think that he felt like he was fulfilling the purpose that he was supposed to be here to fulfill but he created a legacy that is just 
man, I don't, I, I wish I could tell people what an amazing man he is, but nothing I say will ever do him justice. And he died a few years ago. Um, oh, and I sorry. really miss him. Yeah. I, I mean, he lived a great life. He was, he was in his nineties. Um, he died 89 days after my grandma died actually. And I was sitting next to him when she died and I didn't understand what keening was until I heard him do it when she took her last breath and I just turned and I held him and he was kind of lost after that but he started telling some stories that I had never heard before and you know talking about hitching up the horses and going down and kick the shit out of somebody at the bar and whatever and I'm like grandpa <laughs> but yeah like it was it was very cool to get to know him on a different level a little bit but I, I do still miss him but at the same time it's like you know he he is a warrior he was a warrior he he went through that whole journey it just wasn't in the way that he thought it was going to be his journey to becoming a warrior was to till the earth and to grow a family that right. was sustainable and so there are a lot of different ways to do that and you know for for everybody that went to go fight in these wars and they saw the atrocities that you were talking about they saw the things that you don't see as much here at home like i'm not saying they don't exist here but but for people that that went and they saw these things and they came home just so very broken so very broken well part of the journey is to learn how to garden again is to learn how to grow again is to learn how to take care of the place that you're at and the place that you're at is you know it's it's in your body it's in your relationships it's in your home it's in your family it's at work and everything else and i don't think that we're doing a good job of helping our warriors right now manifest their full potential i don't think we are well, I think we can the, do better. That's one of the reasons uh, at the uh, beginning of every episode, it's the intro and then my main sponsor. And then I actually recorded something that has the, uh, uh, I think it's the United States suicide prevention line, the text line, and then the veterans crisis line. And the reason why I put that in is because I know a lot of veterans actually listen to this podcast. I know they do. And that's just from the, the, the analytics from Anchor. It actually tells me, you know, the, the demographic and everything else of who listens to it, where they're at, how long they listen to each episode, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I know for a fact that VA, now, it, their heart's in the right place, but the VA is shit. VA can kiss my ass. They did get better for a minute there. They did get better for a minute and then this administration that has come in. So I think a lot of the people that work at the VA and you, you should be good at this. You should be good at this. You should be good at following the rules. If you're going to work at the VA, you should know when the rules are shit because part of your job when you take that oath is to defend and protect the Constitution. And that is something mm -hmm. that you have to understand at a deep level is that there are a lot of the rules that are handed down that are not particularly in line with that oath let's right. say well like i was saying that's one of the reasons why you know i include the vice the uh veterans crisis line yes and why i also say that if you don't want to call that you just want to talk to somebody 
you know, you can Facebook message me, you can message the page, you can email. If, if somebody emails me and, and tells me that they're in a, a bad situation and they're th thinking about taking their life, I'll, I'll, I'll flat out give them my phone number. Uh, I don't really care. You know, it's, I love everybody. And my, gra my grandfather used to say that that made me sound like a hippie, but at the same time, it makes me sound like a realist because, you know, I know what's going on in the world. I know what's going on in this country and it's wrong on a deep level. And, er and everybody in this country, I don't care who you are at one point in time, you think you're alone and you're not because there's always somebody you can talk to. There's always somebody who will listen. You just got to find them. And unfortunately with the VA, you call them, well, I'm, I'm having suicidal thoughts. Okay, well, we're going to call the cops on you and come have you arrested and thrown in. Oh, my God. Because that's what happens. They, they, they'll listen to what you have to say, but they have your address and everything on file if you're still living at that address. They will, act, uh, I have, well, I'm not saying they will now, but I have seen in the past friends. I was at a friend's house and I kept pushing him to call the VA because back at that point in time, we were younger. Well, I was younger. He was older. And I, you know, I thought that the VA would help him. Uh, he got off the phone half an hour later. There was a knock at the door. He opened the door and it was a social worker and, or case manager, whatever. And the uh, sheriff's department and they, they were telling him that, that, that he wasn't being arrested, that he was being detained for his, for his own safety. I mean, you can't do that. The crisis hotline, if you call them, they will listen to you and they will try to, you know, help you work things out in your head. They have no idea where you're calling from. I mean, you know, it probably shows up in their database, but, but they're not going to call the cops on you. They'll sit there and listen. Uh, so, I mean, it's like a really good friend of mine that I'm trying to get to, to come on the podcast because, I mean, it's not a paranormal thing or anything like that. He's just had some bad experiences in his life with, with uh, PTSD and depression. And I'm trying to get him to come on so he can talk to, you know, to talk about it. So maybe it'll help the other person. Uh, I, uh, I think it was back in October of last year. He put a post on Facebook talking about, you know, how he lost his job. He's about to lose his apartment and, or something, something along those lines. He didn't have the money to pay rent and things. And that, this is it. This is the end of it. And I called him and I kept calling him and kept calling him. And I sent him Facebook messages and texts. And I told him, I said, I know where you live. If you do not answer my phone, I'm going to send the cops to your house. Yeah. At that point, you have to do a wellness check. And he finally answered the phone and he was. I mean, I've never heard him talk like this before. And he's a veteran. And I mean, it, he kept talking about a, a, bo a box cutter that he had, you know, hidden in the car that nobody else could find. But he knew where it was. And I told him, I said, dude, I will come to Texas. If, if I have to hang up the phone right now and drive to Texas, when I get to Texas, you're going to wish you were dead. <laughs> because, you know, th th there's just other things. I'm, I'm like, I get it. I, I really do. I get it. Some people in, in, in some situations, People say suicide is, ne is never the answer. But the thing is, is some people in some situations, some situations, not all, suicide may be their only answer. 
in their in their mind that's it's the only thing it's, and, it, and it happens it's, but it, it's, it, they have to trans they have to get through something it's very painful it's very dark they don't have right. people that they connect with and they might not have the tools to find a different answer right yeah and like you know and like i've told people in, in the past you know People can talk about, oh, well, I can stop somebody from suicide. I actually stopped Mike. Well, I, that, that's my buddy's name is Mike. And I actually stopped him. And I know I did because he is constantly posting things on Facebook. Now, good things, um, how he's grateful for life and whatnot. But uh, when I was 16... When people talk about suicide and, and how bad it is and how bad it, it affects people, when I was 16, I had a job and I worked with a guy and we we're really good friends. And we went fishing every weekend without, you know, w without fail. Same time, same place. You know, we'd leave work, go home, get cleaned up. I'd get my fishing gear, put it in my truck, go to his house, pick him up, and we'd go fishing. Never knew anything was wrong. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't in a relationship with anybody. It was, I guess it was just things that was going on in his, in his head. Never knew anything was wrong. Nobody was a wiser, right? So I get to his house, and he, he always had a 12-gauge shotgun that, that leaned up against the side of the couch because he lived on his own. Well, not on his own, but it was, it was on his parents' property. But it was, you know, built, you know, little, little uh, I'm not going to say an outbuilding, a little bit bigger than an outbuilding. It was a bathroom, kitchenette bedroom and the bedroom was basically the living room but he always had a 12 gauge shotgun leaning up against his couch because he they lived in a bad area and never thought anything of it it was always there but it always had a trigger lock on it nothing told me to look at the to look at the trigger to see if the trigger lock was still on it and he's like well and his phone rang and he's like well hang on a second he went and answered the phone came back he said well that was my sister you know she wants me to come over for dinner tomorrow or whatever and to bring some fish if we get it in tonight. And he go and uh, and I looked at him. I said, well, "So where's your fishing gear?" He said, "Well, it's it's over in the corner." And he picked up a blanket and there's all all of his fishing gear. I mean, he's got a lot of it, so I, I could understand him keeping it covered up. And he told me what poles to get, what tackle boxes to get, net, you know, rod stands, whatever. And I went and put them in the truck and walked back to the as walking back to the house. And the minute I stepped through the door, he pulled the trigger. Mm. And I watched it and I'm 45 now and I was 16 about to turn 17 then. And I can every single moment replays in my mind from the minute my foot hit the threshold and I looked up and I looked up because I didn't see the gun sitting up against the couch because the couch is almost right at the front door. I can see his finger pulling the trigger and then I can see the after effect of the trigger being pulled just and then everything all over the living room all over me and all over everything else what did you do after that i stood there in shock for about 45 minutes and then i called his sister and told his sister that she needed to get over there immediately and then me and his sister st stood there for another I don't know, five, 10 minutes 
trying to decide, trying to figure out how to call and tell his parents that were up the hill. And then I called law enforcement and they asked me why I waited so long. And I said, uh, really? Have you ever seen that firsthand? Right. Like, do you, do you guys know what to do? I'm sure you do, but also I'm 16. Right. I mean, I've always been more, I've always been mature for my age. And, you know, I had at, at 18, I had my own place. It's, I went to work, I went to work actually at 12 with a, with a worker's permit. And, you know, but that's neither here nor there, but, you know, I had to go through the whole thing with the cops of why didn't you call sooner? Are you sure you didn't have anything to do with this? And I'm like, well, you could look at his security cameras because he has security cameras inside and outside the house. You can see where I was when he pulled the trigger. It should show me standing in the doorway. But so getting back to what I was saying, you know, about people's thoughts on suicide, you know, you can sit back and say, well, you know, it's a bad thing or, you can stop it or, you know, if I could only talk to the person, that's not always the case because Tom did it and I didn't know anything was wrong with him. He was always happy, always outgoing, always helping people. And it was just that one moment. If I could go back in time, would I, would I be able to stop it? Who knows? You know, it's, it's not really your job most of the time to stop that because the thing about suicide is yes it is so painful and I hear people use the phrase they're a victim of suicide and that is true but you gotta know who's victimizing you and that is you you're victimizing yourself because there are people in this world that are cruel there are situations that are hard there is loss there is grief there's depression there's there is so much there's even like our own inner turmoil over things that we've done that we just can't figure out how to get past or things that we've seen that are so hard to reconcile with what we think the world should be. But the truth is like, this is the place where heaven and hell intersect. And it is our role to figure out how to move from hell into heaven, because most of us, most of us are not born in heaven. Um, We have to work through these things and we have to learn how to bear our burdens with nobility and with dignity and, and until we learn to carry them until we become strong enough that it's not something that takes us to that place but at the same time i understand and i don't begrudge people who did that i just know it's not going to make it better for them right they're gonna have to try again and you know that choice to cast all of that pain that they didn't feel like they were strong enough to carry out onto their family and friends and the people who love them it's a choice that they made and it i know i know that a lot of people don't have the resources to see that they have different choices so i'm i'm you know let's yeah. just go with that but it's still a choice to cast that out and to let other people carry it. And it is something that at some point you're going to have to 
come back and figure out like, oh, well, that was the role you guys played for me. So I guess I got you in the next one and I'm going to be the one that carries that pain. And I'm going to be the one that loses someone that I love deeply and wonders every day why they did it and what could I have done to to make this better for them and and i'm going to be the one that beats myself up over it and you know that's the thing that i will carry but man yeah well when you're talking about you know uh the people who aren't born in or who aren't born in heaven who have to work their way to get there i've done some really bad shit in my life i've done some really evil shit in my life and the way i look at it is and and, and i'll say this with all honesty if I make it to heaven, that's great. That's wonderful. If I don't, and I end up going deeper into hell, move over, Satan. You're sitting on my throne. Right? Like, <laughs> I'm going to get real good at being bad then, if that's the case. Now, we talked a little bit the last episode about the demon that came to my house and sold me apple scented cleanser. So go listen to that story. <laughs> If you yeah. didn't hear it already, but we are all good and evil. We're not completely one or the other. Nobody is. Even Jesus wasn't. If you look in the Apocrypha, like he was born and that's a Christmas story. And then he was 30. But you look in the Apocrypha. It's not like he did everything right from the very beginning. Of course, right. he knew he was divine. But there's a story about um I, I accidentally killing a friend because he was angry or something and then bringing him back like there's there's all sorts of these stories yep. that are kind of out there in these very old texts that may or may not actually be part of the you know whatever but there's a lot of stories about what happened in between birth and being 30 and uh perfection is not mm -hmm. what you think it is Perfection is not the approval of everybody around you. It's the transcendence of your instincts of what, what is it? What are the seven deadlies? There's lust, there's gluttony, there's, I don't even know. Those are, those are the two that I really like. Point, <laughs> so those, those are the two I'm working on. <laughs> at this point in time in this world, uh, the seven deadly sins are basically waking up and opening your eyes in the morning. <laughs> Because, because it happens all day long. I, I happen to like C.S. Lewis's uh, view of God, which is basically like God is a hedonist. Like he gave us these cool mushrooms and, and beer and like, you know, all of these things that are really fun. And he's like, look, kids, it's a good time here. Don't get lost in it. You got shit to do. Like you, you right. have a path that you need to walk. So, you know, have a right. good time don't get lost. Don't stay mad. Don't get all vengeful. Don't, you know. Well, folks, uh, if, if, if any of you would like to talk to Liz, you know, for, you know, anything that she's able to do or can do, just get in contact, you know, get in contact with the show and I'll get you in contact with her because, you know, she said earlier that, you know, uh, for people who are ha having this, uh, the same problems or same experiences or same day to days that, you know, you could come on the show or you could talk to her. She's not hard to get in contact with. She's on Facebook. I mean, you can get in contact with anybody on Facebook nowadays. Yes. Yes. My profile is public. Liz Law is my name. It is my real name. I know it sounds like a comic book superhero or it sounds like coleslaw, um, but you can send me a message. <laughs> You can connect with me that way, or Will knows how to get a hold of me. Yep. 
there, there is one other thing that I wanted to mention to everybody. For people who aren't a member of the Facebook page uh, for, for the Investigation Cryptopariology, so you probably haven't seen it, or you're not friends with me on Facebook, so you probably haven't seen it. But the show actually has its own merchandise store now. And there's tons of stuff on it. And then there are things that I'm trying to get added that I have to work with the uh, design template and the logo a little bit. Uh, one piece bathing suit, three, di three, three different time types of hats, uh, beanies, or as the Canadian call the Canadians call them, toques, and a uh, shower curtain. And I'm trying to get the store to give me a design for toilet seat lids and uh, <laughs> bath mats and things like that. So you could just investigation cryptopariology all over your house. <laughs> I really uh, like the water bottles that you have. Those are actually really cool. And they were what, like $22 or something? Uh, they are actually $27.99. Yeah, yeah. Like for a good water bottle, like I will pay that much. I used to have, like, there's steel water bottles, right? Yeah. I used to have one I would take for a walk because there was somebody that had an aggressive dog. And if you put water and ice in that thing i'm like oh i could fight off an aggressive dog with that <laughs> we will be okay now uh the actual web address for for this thing i'll uh i'll insert it into the description of the show so everybody has the web address to it or you could go to uh, our facebook page and for some reason i have lost the link to the facebook page that's wonderful. What's the what's the name of it? Is it a group? Uh, it's it's just a page itself. It's uh, I I want to say it's investigation crypto. Oh wait a minute. Nope, that's from something else. Anyway, I, I've I've got a I've got Notepad open. I'm looking through all the notes that I've made for you know the last several shows. But um, Facebook page is it shouldn't take long. I've got a really fast computer. I shouldn't say it, but I spent thousands of dollars on this thing. Oh, I found it. It is Investigation Cryptopariology, and it says it's a science website. So the, the, the actual uh, link to the Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash investigation crypto. If you go on there, there is, an, there is a link to the merchandise store. Also on the website, there is... Um, for the podcast, which is investigationcrypt.wixsite.com forward slash my dash site. Uh, there is a merchandise page and there's a, just one picture on the page and you click that picture and it takes you directly to the store. So, you know, if you want, if you want some uh, investigation cryptopariology merch, I mean, there's hoodies, there's leggings, there's bicycle shorts. I'm working on jogging pants. Um, Phone cases, Samsung, iPhone, you know, AirPod cases, kids, kids shirts. I'm working on kids hoodies, whatever. And, you know, just whatever you could think of. There's actually digital content that I can upload, but that's a, a, an entirely different format. And I don't understand that format. But. And what people need to understand is, is the profit that is made off of anything that's sold on that store does not benefit me directly. It, it will be turned back into opening up the, uh, the podcast's website from being a Wix site to a .com. 
and then opening up the storage space on the website so I can start uploading a player to the website for the for the podcast and for the episodes. It'll it will afford opening up Zoom to to not only being two people per call. I could have three, four, five, six, seven people in a call, and for backup audio equipment. And the way the merchandise store works is, is yes, the stainless steel water bottles are $27.99. The company who supplies the merchandise, who supplies the, you know, the blank canvas of the stainless steel water bottle, they get a portion and then they give me a portion. So if you look at it and go, wow, that's expensive. That's actually what retail of, every, of everything costs. You know, it's not Walmart. It's not a, a discount store. It's actual retail. And then they, you know, it's the cost of putting the logo onto the merchandise. You know, it's just like any, any other business, things actually cost. I actually tried to get the cost down, but to have the cost lower, they wouldn't be able to make it because they wouldn't be able to, you know, afford to buy the product. Now, once things start being purchased, I was told by the company, that after I have so much, you know, so many purchases, so much in sales, then I can start offering a discount code. And when that becomes a reality, I will be sure every episode to put in the discount code, which will knock off a considerable chunk for the price for each product. That is awesome. I do like your store. I mean, there is a couple of things like the bucket hat. I've got to go back in and put the logo back, uh, back on in a different way so it doesn't chop it up as much, but. <laughs> there is some good stuff. I did like those leggings that you were talking about too. I'm like, those are fun. Well, what doesn't make any, I mean, it makes sense, but it doesn't make any sense. What doesn't make any sense to me is how I was able to make the fleece blanket. And I actually put those logos in meticulously myself and it's an all over design. But for, say, like sports bras and things like that or the bathing suit, they want me to upload a format so they can do it. Why not just let me do it? Right. Well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe they have specific brands or what, whatever that they're working with. And I don't know. I don't know. But I'm, I mean, I'm, try <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to, you know, better the podcast. Um, as a matter of fact, we have another person coming on uh, this, th uh, you know, th this upcoming week from Idaho Falls. The owner of Pie Hole, Doug Kinney. I love Pie Hole so much. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. Yeah, I love I just, that you're finding so many local people. Well, he asked me if any other owners of businesses in Idaho Falls had any experiences. And I haven't heard of any other ones except for you know, me personally, except for, uh, I can't remember Dave's last name, but he used to have the pawn shop on park. Right. And his business was riddled with paranormal. I mean, you know, I forget who I was talking to. Uh, I think I was actually talking to Kelly, uh, Kelly Haas, Hess, Hess, Kelly Hess, uh, about the tunnel system that's actually under Idaho Falls. Oh, have you ever been into any of them? Yes, I have. There's so uh, under under Dave's pawn shop. There were two doors in the basement. 
one to the right, one to the left. The one to the right went under the alleyway driveway and under the tattoo parlor that, that used to be on the other side. Yeah. You can't actually go through that door. You open that door and you go to walk forward and it's like you hit an invisible barrier. You cannot physically walk through it. Something will not let you. And it's the same way on the other side. Under the tattoo parlor, you try to go through the door to go toward the pawn shop and you can't go. And that's been told to me in the past. But then to the left side, you could it just goes and goes. And then there's uh, corridors and other doors that lead in other places. And uh, just like Kelly was telling me, there's a, let's see, from the, the tattoo parlor to the right, and then under, uh, it's either there or it's uptown, but there's a, den- a dentist office in the tunnels. She, she says she's actually seen this with uh, dental chairs and everything, and it's set up in a room in the tunnels. I have not heard that one. There's a dentist office. I believe it. Like there's yeah. all sorts of weird stuff that has gone on. Actually, the place that I work, there's a speakeasy like right under my desk that oh, they discovered wow. when they were remodeling the building. So like there's some of this stuff in Rigby too. But like the ones all over downtown, um, Ford's Bar. Do you know Ford's? Yep. yep. Um, there's, I think there's tunnels that go through there and stuff too. Um, but that place is haunted. Oh, it used I know to be a brothel. Is. The, the bars, we're actually doing a burlesque show on May 7th there too. Oh, really? And that's the place that Mike and yeah, that's the place that Mike and I met, but it was back when it was like the diviest dive bar and the new owners, like it's so nice. Back when they it used to smell done, like cockroach like, pee. <laughs> Yeah, like one time I got a splinter on a table and I'm like, should I just amputate my finger? I don't know. Um, But it's not that way anymore. It's beautiful. But they kept the bar back that was like back from the brothel days and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like Idaho Falls was wild, really, really wild. So I, uh, oh man, I am so excited to hear the stories. I'm going to have to listen to these next episodes from people that own businesses and stuff down there. And what what I'm hoping, what I'm hoping with, uh, getting Doug on is I'm hoping that other business owners in town, because I know he'll probably sp- you know, spread it around and share it. And I'm hoping that other business owners in town will actually come up and, and go, Hey, yeah, you know, we, we have stuff moved around that, that gets moved around or employees won't go into certain parts of the building or, you know, any of this, you know, and I'm hoping to eventually get, you know, the, the word out here within Idaho falls is I'm not a paranormal investigator, right? I want your stories. I'm not going to come right. in and, you know, and get just my side of the story. I want your stories. I want the stories of the happenings and things that are going on. And, you know, and it's, it's becoming have a you, wild ride. So have you ever been to the haunted history tours? No. The last one that we went to, it was during COVID. So they did, instead of going into buildings and stuff, they did Rose Hill Cemetery out by Toffus Park. And they told some amazing stories about that place. And also there was somebody that does these paranormal investigations that they had gone to places like Virginia City, which is just over the border into Montana. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I have a, a great great however many greats uncle that uh if you look him up on wikipedia he was known as the kentucky cannibal 
his name is Boonhelm. Um, But like they had done this investigation and stuff out there. And so like, there's a lot of interest. There's so much stuff in this area, so much. So I bet that you get some people that are on here, but there are people who actively do these investigations too. You're exactly right. And who I would get in contact with is like the the Museum of Idaho is who does the haunted history tours. And they could probably direct you to the right people. You said the Museum of Idaho? Yes. Yes, and that is an awesome place. And they're starting their summer parties again, which I miss so much. Like, I feel like COVID took so much away from us. But the museum is kind of the place to be sometimes. They have the greatest street parties. And you they have these exhibits and they, like, theme all of them with their exhibits. And they have... Um, distilleries come in and they do samples and they have food and they have food trucks outside too and oh my gosh the museum of idaho is amazing okay i'll have to do that i'll have to get in contact with them well folks i i hate to i hate to do this uh it's not that we're on a time limit or anything but this is going to probably be the, the end of this particular podcast and I'm sure that in the future sometime we'll have Liz back on. I mean, she, she has some amazing thoughts and theories and things to tell. Thank you. I would love to. Find us on the web at www.investigation-cryptoparaology. That's C-R-Y-P-T-O-P-A-R-A-O-L-O-G-Y.com. On Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash investigation crypto listen to us on any major podcast players including apple Podcasts, anchor amazon music google Podcasts, pocket cast radio public and of course spotify we continue to spread to more podcast players each day you may contact us by using the contact page on the website or by sending a direct message to our facebook page or by emailing us directly at investigation at gmail.com that is investigation, C-R-Y-P-T-O-P-A-R-A-O-L-O-G-Y at gmail.com. Also, I would like to add this. If you're feeling down on yourself or like you don't matter or there's no hope left, we're here for you. You can contact us through our Facebook page or by emailing us at investigationcryptoparaology at gmail.com. We are happy to listen and possibly help you find a better tomorrow. If you don't want to talk to us, you can contact the Suicide Hotline of the United States. They have a crisis text line if you verbally speaking to someone is not your thing. Text HOME, all capital letters, H-O-M-E, to 741741. If you do do want to verbally speak to someone, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. And if you are a veteran, you can also call 1-800-273-8255 and then press 1. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for tonight. I sincerely hope you will join us again next time for another spine-tingling, hair-raising experience from the depths of the abyss. If you would like to contact me about an experience you have had or to get on the show, email me at investigationcryptoparaology at gmail.com. That's investigation, C-R-Y-P-T-O-P-A-R-A-O-L-O-G-Y. At gmail.com. Cause my monster's out.